0: My soul will remain restless until it rests in you. These words confessed by St. Augustine have echoed across the centuries and remain a common thread to reverts and converts alike. These are the testimonies of those that have come to rest in the fullness of truth. This is Catholic Recon with your host, Eddie Trask.
1: Hello, everyone. This week's guest is Dr. Tom Curran, who I... I have to to give a little bit of an intro here because I was absolutely thrilled to find his podcast, and I'll tell you a little bit about our story of meeting uh, in a second, but you have to check out his podcast, Dr. Tom Curran Podcast. He received his PhD in systematic theology from the Catholic University of America, a graduate degree in theology from the Gregorian University in Rome, an author of more than five books, one of which I... I have to recommend, even though I haven't read it, just based on the reviews, based on the the sample that I did see. It's called The Mass, Four Encounters with Jesus That Will Change Your Life. Uh, This was listed on a top 10 Catholic bestseller list. And as a speaker, Dr. Curran has given over 2,000 presentations to more than 350,000 people in 35 states and six countries. What I want to mention is I went to the Seattle Men's Conference I think that was about a week ago, right? Man, where, yeah. yeah where the a week ago. Where does the time go? Um, and Tom was the last speaker, and I decided to stay. And I could have easily left to go to the airport a little bit early to give myself a buffer, uh, but I decided to stay. I decided to stay to hear this man talk, and it was fantastic. What I appreciated about the talk is that he started off saying, you guys have heard a lot of words. You have heard a lot of words. And so I think about a lot of podcasts. I think about a lot of apostolates. We hear a lot of words. But then what Tom did was he acknowledged everything that is good about those words. But do we take them to heart? Um, and Tom, first of all, welcome to the show. Um, that was a lot of words to introduce you uh but i wanted to tell you again that that was a fantastic talk and it really it really spoke to me and it's something that people take home and they can they can live it out according to what the holy spirit wills
0: well it's very kind of you eddie uh and i uh, let me just say this that uh i i also enjoyed our our engagement our dialogue very very much and uh i i want to hear more because i want to dive into that men's conference but i also want to honor the the theme and and the the intent of your podcast here as well, since I'm a guest on, on your show.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, now, you said you wanted me to pray to get us started. So uh, there's so much to say. If we're not praying, uh, we might go off on the wrong track here. So Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> let's do it. Yep. All right. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' holy name, we come before you. We thank you for the gift of being alive, that you have created us for this moment. And in this moment, we invite you to... Be our good shepherd, Jesus. We invite you to anoint us, Holy Spirit. We uh, plead with you, Holy Spirit, to release within us the the sensitivity uh, to your power and your presence at work in our conversation. Holy Spirit, uh, we ask that your power would be at work uh, through the gifts that you have given to us, that we might be vessels honoring the Father. Father, we want you to be honored in all of this. And we know, Lord, that you uh, you know in advance all of those who will ever come into contact with this conversation that we're having right now. And so we pray for them. We pray for you, dear brothers and sisters, as you come into contact with this conversation, uh, in whatever format that it is, that you would sense the Lord knocking on the door of your heart. You would sense him coming and saying to you, let me in. I know you by name. I'm coming. I brought you to this contact with this con- uh, with this uh, podcast so that I could come closer to you, so that I could bless you. And so, Lord, we say yes to those blessings as well. Whatever it is you want to do in our lives to this conversation, we say yes, Lord. We just want you to be glorified in this. We just want our lives to be fruitfully used by you. And Lord, we thank you in advance that we know you are a faithful God. You are true to your word. And, uh, and we just say, Lord, uh, even just shock us with your generosity and, and how it is you manifest yourself, uh, in this moment, through this moment and through what happens in our lives and Lord bless Eddie, bless his wife and children, bless his uh, apostolate and the work that he is about. I uh, may it bear more fruit than he ever even could imagine in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
1: Amen. So. I said a lot
0: into that prayer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I really appreciate that, Tom. Um, So to your point, right before you prayed, what I noticed in the men that were around me and what I noticed in myself was that in the midst of that talk, in the midst of that conference, there are testimonies that are developing and there are stories that are developing. There were men, when I went into the church, probably halfway through the conference, they had confessional lines on either side of the parish. And I, I would have guessed there were 50, 50 people in line at that point, and some of which I'm sure were very heavy duty. I mean, how some of these men, some of which you spoke to, probably hadn't been to confession in a long time. And I think that these conferences, the speakers draw that out in these people, hey, it's not to overuse the word here, but it's safe. It's safe. You can return to the sacrament of reconciliation for many of you for the first time in so long. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit, but I saw that the beginning of a lot of these testimonies is the sacrament of reconciliation,
0: oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean you think about it, what is it that stops us from getting to the goal? A lot of times it's these obstacles right? and and the obstacle of sin makes us, makes men, makes us want to hide, makes us feel ashamed or embarrassed to come out into the open with what we'd rather keep hidden. And so, you know, that the first, that first grace that's connected to confession is that sense of, I I feel drawn to accuse myself rather than defend myself over the things that I, um, uh, over the things that hold me back and block me from my relationship with the Lord. So, yeah, I think that, uh, coming to a men's conference, seeing other men visibly in line can be a prompt for me to say, if they're doing it, I can do it too. And and they don't feel so alone. They don't feel so uh, like, why would I do that? And they're not seeing maybe men uh, in line for confession or even just people in line for confession uh, in their typical uh, practice of the faith.
1: Absolutely. And then the other thing about the talk that... I want to mention up front is when we prayed for the souls that are dying around us, what it was the stat that you shared. I said, you said, as we're praying, I think every eight seconds, someone else is passing away. And you had this incredible plea that I've never really thought about. I don't know if other guys have thought about it. And that is in the midst of your suffering, are you able to offer that up for the sake of these people that are around us passing away.
0: Yeah. So this is a theme that is in our Catholic tradition that we lost sight of our, our lady of Fatima helped, helped like recover it. And, and, and sadly, since uh, the the last hundred years, since the, uh, our blessed mother's appearances at Fatima in Portugal, uh, it, it has really fallen off. And, And it's this devotion, to help rescue souls that are near to death, but far from God. Just if you can hold on to that phrase, souls that are near to death, but far from God. Near to death we get, right? Just statistically, it's like every eight seconds, there's someone dying. And then the question is of those of those souls that are dying, even during our podcast, right? During this the recording of this show, well, if it's an hour long, right? That's uh, how many, right? So that's like seven in a minute times 60 minutes. That's uh, 425 people are gonna die. during the course of our our conversation. Now, the question is how many of those are in the state of grace and ready to meet the Lord? They're going to meet their final judgment. And what's at stake in that, Eddie? What's at stake when they meet God at the moment of their death? It's eternity. It's heaven or hell. You think about what's at stake in that. And, well, our natural, uh, natural inclination is to say, well, there's nothing we can do about that. Well, that's not what Our Lady of Fatima said. She showed that vision of hell that was so utterly overwhelming to the three visionaries right two saints third hopefully soon to be and and it moved them to spend the remainder of their lives finding ways to impact these souls why because she said that these souls are falling like snowflakes into hell because there are none to offer prayers and penance expiation for the these poor sinners that are near to death and far from god and it moved it moved uh, Francisco and Jacinta to live these lives of like real, like, let me find a way to do penance, to offer a sacrifice, to pray for these poor souls, because I don't want them to fall towards hell. So they didn't know who these souls were, but the Lord does. So you think about it, this is worth a whole program, but yeah uh, what do we pray in the hail mary have you ever thought about when we pray the hail mary we pray now and at the hour of my death amen right is that what we say no that's not hour. What we say. yeah now and at the hour of our death well who's the hour how wide is the hour like i, I i'm not going to die at the same time as you probably like the likelihood is like almost zero Mm-hmm. so if you stop and think about it our death and there's a sense of solidarity there's a sense of connection there's a sense of wait a minute i'm not separate from you so who's the hour and our death can it be as wide as souls that are near to death but far from god and if it is if there are souls that are trapped in mortal sin then they don't have that grace on their own to reach towards god and if you think about it, in the hour of death they're confused they're exhausted they're they're probably overwhelmed, by- what's happening to them. They're not, they don't have a clear presence of mind. And so why wouldn't we want to be saying, Lord, I want to stand, place me on that mission, that spiritual mission of being right at the gate of hell and just saying, Lord, I offer up my suffering, I offer up these prayers for these souls that are near to death and far from God. Lord, just please roll away the stone so that you can come in and raise them from spiritual death like Lazarus. You know, that that's a Boy, talk about a work of evangelization. <laughs> you know?
1: Amen. Amen. So how do people build that habit into their daily lives? Because I think one of the biggest uh, difficulties in whether you're returning to the faith, just came to the faith for the first time is, what is it that I focus on? And so we get caught up in a number of different prayers, maybe. Am I doing the right prayers? How would you recommend remembering just that monumental fact about those around us.
0: Yeah. So uh, part of what I've done over the 25 years uh, of the last 25 years of doing church work, I've been doing it since uh, 1989. And um, but since like 1999, I've also been uh, an executive coach to CEOs and senior executives. And when I would go into them and I would meet with them, I wouldn't just start with, okay, what do you want to talk about? what I would say to them, the first thing I would write, I would write it on the whiteboard. I love whiteboards, is I would say, what's at stake right now? Not what is happening, not what is happening, but what's at stake in what's happening? And so uh, if we can stop and just, when we wake up in the morning and just ponder and just say, well, what's going to happen today? No, no. What's at stake in my today? What's at stake? What's the good that's at stake? If we can start pondering that question instead, then it shifts the conversation away from mere what to like, why? Like, why is this important? What does this lead to? That can impact, that can radically break through and really, frankly, cause a change in our whole lives. Because Eddie, if you think about it, I if I worry or if I'm concerned or if I have this, the word is solicitude, if I've got this deep, passionate care for the souls of those that are near to death and far from God, it probably gets traced back to the fact that I realize there's something at stake in my life. Like Eddie, think, think about it. Folks that are listening right now. Hey, all of you, there's something at stake in your life. Do you know what it is? If you don't, you better find out. Right. And And what's at stake in your life is not only heaven and hell. That's the first thing that's at stake, but it's also becoming a saint and fulfilling your God-given mission. Right? It's your identity and your purpose. It's the fact that you were created by the Lord and the fact that he created you for a purpose and planted you in, in history at the moment that he intended. And so you stop and say, are you becoming the saint that he intended you to become today? And are you going to fulfill the mission in the way that he intends in the moment that he's given you today? And so all of a sudden now, there's this is, this is called the, the drama of discipleship. This is also called the adventure of discipleship. This is the excitement of, guess what? Today, when I woke up, I have no idea what it is or how it is the Lord is going to bring me into. But if I if I have that awareness, that's a key word. We'll come back to that awareness, that seeing that my life is, in fact, a dramatic adventure that is led by the Lord who planted me into today. So when I wake up, there's someone he might have me meet. There's a place he might have me go. If I'm open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, there's something he'll have me do or say or avoid that has repercussions on my growth and holiness and on the fulfilling of my mission. So now, that's that's the philosophy and theology of it all.
1: So when you say open to the Holy Spirit, I use that phrase, I've used it now for for years. What practically does that look like for, for you and for those that you've spoken to.
0: Yeah, i tell you a story. So th- this is the kind of thing that happens every day, right? So I think I, uh, I might've said it to you. One of the things that if we're going to be witnesses to our faith, there should be rich stories connected to our faith that are unfolding in our lives on, on a regular basis. So uh, I'll, I'll give you two stories that are connected to my daily life, just daily duties in life. So one of the missions I'm on right now is helping families move to a place that will help their families flourish. So if I was going to do that, I needed to become a real estate agent. So I became a real estate agent, not because I love selling real estate, but because I love families. And I want families to be able to move from where they're at to where where God's calling them. So uh, in the midst of all of this, I was... um, uh, I was at an open house, saw a couple people, and met this guy. But I could not remember. I didn't have his number, and I'm like, okay, I, but I know where he worked because he told me where he worked. So I'm like, well, I'm gonna go find him. So he worked at a hospital. He's a doctor. So I went to the, I went to the, the uh, into the hospital, the 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 main like entry area. I said, hey, I'm looking for a doctor. What's his name? I don't remember. He's tall. <laughs> Listen, that's not going to help. But I'm like, okay, well, uh, he, he you know, he's an OBGYN. Oh, okay, well, that, that's over on the fourth floor, way down the other side of the hospital, get on this long hall, go up the elevator, et cetera. So I went down the long hall, went up the elevator, went into the uh, waiting room. I'm like, well, now what do I do? And then I looked and I noticed that, uh, I noticed the name, there was one nameplate different than the others. And I knew he had just moved, in here, moved here. I'm like, oh, I bet that's what it is. So I looked him up on the internet, kind of a stalker here, huh? And And sure enough, I found his picture. I'm like, that's the guy. I said, okay, now I know his name. Now I'm going to be able to reach out to him. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave now. So I left. And as I left, I came and the elevator was there, open door, went into the elevator. As the door's closing, a woman comes and says, hold on a minute, hold on, can I come in? I said, and I stopped the elevator, uh, the door from closing. She came in. And next to the OBGYN section, there was a section for those who were receiving Um, treatments for um, cancer. And so she came in and she had on a cap on her head that you could see was a a sign that she had probably lost her hair from from treatments. She's my age. Uh, No, no, she's probably about 10 years older than I am. So she's like uh, maybe uh, late sixties, close to 70. Right. So she uh, gets in and, and I just say, Hey, isn't it, you know, isn't it so good that the weather's changing and it's getting warmer. And, And she said, well, yeah, it's yeah, I guess so. And, and she comes down, I'm like, okay, she's a little bit burdened. She's kind of weary with what's happening in her life right now. And I said to her, I said, well, I hope you have a great day. And she said, well, God is good as she's walking out of the elevator and I'm getting out too, cause we're back down at the main floor. And I said all the time. And as she exits the elevator, she turns in the same direction that I am, which is going to take us down this very long hall to the front entrance. And I'm behind her. And something inside of me, someone inside of me, there's this little prompting. Okay, take away, let's not use such a like a fancy word. There's this little nudge. There's this little push that said, talk to her. So I I was behind her and I said, Hey, I'm gonna walk next to you. I'm not, I am not uh I'm not uh, just tracking after you here, right? I'm not following you, and uh, and so she is walking beside me now, and and I'm like, so, how's it going these days? She says it's going hard right now, and I said to her, I said, uh, what's your name? Uh, and she she told me her name, which was the same name as my wife, uh, Carrie. She said, my name's Carrie, and I said, oh, that's my wife's name. I said I've got to reveal something to you, Carrie. And she said what? I said. I'm an angel sent from God, and she just looked at me as we're walking down the, down the hall. I said, angel means messenger. I said, God sent me here. I'm going to pray with you right now as we're walking. I just put my hand on her shoulder as we're walking down the, this long hallway, and I started praying with her right there as we're walking down the hallway. Lord Jesus, just bless this dear sweet sister in Christ. I thank you that you brought her in touch with me, that you made us meet, Lord, I wasn't supposed to be here at this hospital. There was no reason for me to be. I thought I knew the reason. Lord, you sent me here to be here for her. You love this woman so much that you brought me out of my day to be here at that exact moment so that she would know that you love her and that you're taking care of her. That Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who labor in heavy burden. I will give you rest. Lord, give this woman rest. Let her know that you're going to take care of her on this journey as we walk down this hall and the journey that she's on. Just bless her, Lord, and let her know that you have, you are the divine physician and that you're at work through all of these other physicians. Amen. Right? Something, it was something like that, right? And, and we finished the prayer, got to the end of the hall. She looked at me, she's crying. She says, Thank you so much. I can't believe that it was such a blessing to me. And she went off to her appointment and I went out the door. Ta-da. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's prompting right there
0: so that that's a that's a way of enfleshing the concept of what does it mean to follow a prompting what does it mean to say it means this brothers and sisters jesus christ is the living lord and when we are immersed in christ in baptism he the blessed trinity immerses is immersed in us just jesus said The Father is in me as I'm in him. So if Jesus comes to live in you, the Father is alive in you. Jesus says, I'll send you the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The blessed Trinity dwells in us as in a temple. And it's the Holy Spirit's role to prompt us and nudge us through the gifts he's given. There it is. It's through the gifts he's given. Faith, hope, and love, and other spiritual gifts are going to be those points of contact with the personal nudge of the Holy spirit to get us to say or not say to do or not do things that will be the way in which we are the the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in our day-to-day lives. You don't need a theology degree degree for that. You just need an openness and a willingness to do that.
1: Great. If we can go back to the men's conference, when you were, preparing for that and preparing for any talk what how do you develop I guess the theme and what is your aim what because when you went up there this is the other thing I appreciated it did not appear scripted in any way maybe in some ways you got to have your your anchors let's say but you were just ready to navigate, move with the, with the audience, which I really appreciate. So if you can speak to that, that would be great.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I've been doing this for a while, right? So it's, I didn't start where I am now. It's a journey. And so the idea of sort of having the talk, right. Let's call it the canned talk that um many presenters have and that's not a bad thing because they know the 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 beginning middle and end they know the flow of the talk and they know the themes that are important the stories that really connect that's not a bad thing Uh, that's not where I'm at in my own like journey of faith. so you might have seen uh saw me I had my little notebook out and I was writing down notes so you know I I prepared for that talk uh, up until the minute I gave it so I I didn't really know what I was going to say. So no, I did honestly. Yeah, I, no, I
1: believe it. It's just, that's amazing, yeah.
0: So it was really just a matter of, and, and people, my, my friends were laughing at me. I saw some guys that knew me and they said, yeah, so have you written your talk yet? And I'm like, hey man, I got like seven hours of content. I, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but I'll figure it out. You know, it's like the whole, I just got to be open. Like, talk about trust, right? I'm standing up there and I'm going to trust that uh, the Lord is going to move me into the right content in the right way so I did have a few anchor points that I felt I brought into the e into the uh into the conference that were based on what the conference uh uh organizer had said to me right you know from brokenness to boldness right so we want you to talk about boldness okay I know that when I speak to men about boldness, there are certain key ideas that are holding back boldness, right? So I talked about passivity and effeminacy a, a were two key ones. And then the, the larger framework was trying to break open this sense of, hey guys, this is just about you consuming more content to you guys being open to an encounter with the living Lord who is knocking on the door of the right now moment of your life. He wants to break in. He wants to break open your life in a way you haven't imagined. And he is going to not only ask you to empty out, but he is going to fill you. But when he fills you, it's going to overflow and you're going to have to move, right? So it's it's those two words, event and encounter. Event and encounter. And those are words that I really inherited from uh, our last two popes, St. John Paul II and, and Pope Benedict XVI. And studying their writings, philosophical and theological, those two themes really became so prominent in my own spirituality, in my own living of my life of faith, that life in time is not just this flow from past to future, but rather it's the in-breaking moment. It's the right now moment where the Lord is going to break into my life. And that breaking in is not the flow of time as chronological movement from past to future, but the in-breaking now is the time. Theologically, that's called an event, a kairos moment, an in-breaking moment. And you know that you've had an in-breaking moment, an event, when you have an encounter. An encounter is a meeting, in this instance, with the Lord that is so tremendous that it shifts the entire direction of my life. So theologically, an encounter is a meeting that shifts the direction of our lives. So when I go up and give a talk, my hope is, Lord Jesus, please use this talk so that those that are listening will have an event in the event of an encounter that is with you, not with me. I don't care about me. I want, them, I want this to be useful to you. I want... I want these folks to encounter you in a way that shifts how it is they're living their lives. So that's the overarching thing that I uh, carry uh, with me when I uh, give a talk.
1: Yeah. So then you, you, you're understanding, Lord, use me because he uses people as conduits. And that's, yeah, I think we personally, you and I, when we met before you even gave a talk, I felt we had one of those moments because our conversation even though it was uh, probably cut short yeah it was cut short but i don't know we had 10 15 minutes together and the number of things that we covered that doesn't happen with everyone and when you're manning a booth let's say you have 30 seconds per person you don't have 10 15 minutes so i i really appreciated when we uh when we had that discussion um and the other thing is i want to hear
0: it i want to say this uh, yeah go ahead go ahead what struck you what did so again, that you're asked
1: that you put me on the spot, first of all. OK, so if I approach someone at a conference and I just say, hey, uh, I, I don't even know. I just saw you look in my direction. And I thought, hey, that's a person for some reason. I am I border between introvert and extrovert. I, I still don't know wh- what I'm doing. It just depends on the situation, I guess. But I said, hey, I'll just go talk to I don't know if I knew that you were going to be a speaker or not, but. Um, the minute I said hi to you, I think one of, within the first 10 seconds, you asked me a question that made me, I don't remember what the question was, but with that conversation made me think more about my life than I do on a regular basis. That's for sure. So that's what struck me is that you asked a question, I answered it and you had another, (laughs) you had another question ready to go to, uh, not to keep me on my toes, but just to understand, I think you said, you know, why are you here? Or, you know, tell me about yourself. What is it that you're trying to do for the Lord? I, it was just really, I don't know. It was unorthodox, let's say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and, and that's a dialogue, right? So in yeah. that dialogue, I want to understand who you are. What are you about? Right. What's that sense of what's the mission? Why are you here? Right. Like what brings you here? Why are you here? What's that sense of mission? What are you doing here? Yeah. And uh, I'm like, And then as soon as I heard, okay, you're a husband and a father, and you're here because of this apostolate you're involved in, right, with the Augustine Institute, and then with the work that you're doing uh, in this podcast, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, I get this. I get this. I I meet so many guys like you and I have over all these decades. I'm thinking, I want to be like, here's here's another divine appointment. All right, the Lord has set this up and I'm thinking to myself, all right, I've been around this track too many times, a lot of times, maybe I can have a conversation that yields something good for you. So, and I know that time is short, so I just sometimes cut to the chase. I just kind of like, (laughs) I'm going to just jump right in there and start breaking down some walls that maybe it's like, okay, do you realize this?
1: Yeah, no, 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 that's great. One
0: of the things that we talked about was, um, you know, don't chase results, chase fruits. I think too many people think, oh, I'm making such a difference because I have these statistics like here, are all the crowds I've spoken to. And here's all the, you know, the, the stuff that I've done. And do you remember what I said? Right. It's like I, now I'm putting you on the spot again. Well, Eddie. It, it was you're never going to have me on, on your program. Again I, I, I,
1: I can paraphrase. It was like, the, who cares about numbers? If you're not surrendered to the Lord, none of it's all meaningless. Maybe you didn't say it that way, but yeah, 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 exactly.
0: Yeah. If you're not holy, you're not going to bear fruit. In fact, you're going to hurt the gospel. Yeah. We're going to hurt the gospel if we're not holy. Holy is, is that union with the Lord that radiates God, right? Holiness is union with the Lord that radiates divinity. And that's what makes a difference is the supernatural fragrance that flows forth from someone's life. And if what you have are clever and entertaining ways of presenting the gospel, but you're not holy, then people are going to be left with you and not Jesus. I want to get out of the way. I want Jesus to shine forth in what I'm saying and doing. And if I also can be clever and entertaining, then those are gifts that are useful to the Lord. But they are dangerous if we have very gifted, clever people out there presenting the gospel, but are not holy because it won't have an impact. And therefore there'll be so many people who will hear the gospel without the impact of Jesus being as strong as it could be because of the lack of holiness of the one who's bringing that out. Do you remember who I quoted? Because I I didn't make that up. That's not my idea. That's a very traditional Catholic idea. It was John of the Cross Right. Get to the very end of the ascent of Mount Carmel because he didn't finish it. Right. right, It just stops. Yeah. But if you look at the like the very last thing he's saying, he's talking about preaching. And he's saying that the words of the preacher, the words of someone who's giving a homily ought to be able to do what? Was raise the dead.
1: That's right.
0: You know, do you do you want to know if you're if, if you're actually in the Lord's will and, and you're growing as a, as a preacher and teacher of the faith? Are you talks raising the dead? That's a pretty good standard to focus on. And and he's he's the one who brings up the gifting without holiness is not gonna bear fruit and can cause harm. What you need is to focus on holiness and then yes, also develop the skills and the gifts that God has given you and ask for those gifts and skills, but it's holiness that matters.
1: The other thing I remember is you referenced the author uh, Jacques Philippe. And you were talking about how his uh, well would you call it an apostolate I guess you would the, the, his writings his writings were um someone asked him how how did these writings reach everyone in all these countries and they're translated this way and that way how and he said I didn't right I, I didn't know.
0: do I asked him I, yeah, I had that exactly. you asked him on like... your
1: show what what yeah. did you do and his answer was the Lord did something I, I... What are you saying? Yeah. Yeah. So
0: yeah. He just like he just like threw his hands up. And he's like, I, I just was giving talks at a retreat and those got transcribed and then they got published. And then it just went from there. He didn't hire a marketing arm and he didn't have a big marketing budget, didn't have a great team, and put together great YouTube shorts and you know, all <laughs> these other things. No, it was he focused on the Lord and the Lord took him wider. And if you stopped and said to yourself, if, if if you go wider apart from God, well, the Lord could still use you and He can redeem it. but boy, I, that is that really what we want to do, right? So it's it, it, I, I was told by a very wise, my spiritual director years ago, a very wise holy priest, He said, don't be afraid of fame, but don't chase it. Don't be afraid of riches, but don't chase it. Don't be afraid of influence or power, but don't chase it. If the Lord brings it to you, then pray to be, holy enough, docile enough, humble enough, pure enough of intention to be able to fruitfully use that for his glory, but don't chase it. That's an unworthy goal.
1: Yeah, I think I I was skipping around different uh, podcasts that you did. And I think I did hear that when you were talking about, um, you're not saying I'm taking a vow of poverty. Like I'm so, I'm almost rejecting, I forget the word you used um yeah. as it relates to you're not shunning either side you're just saying god right what it's... what what i'm not rich or poor that is not you can't say that is his will in this moment you just say i'm open to your will and you actually mean it
0: yeah you remember it's the test for indifferencia There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So St. Ignatius of Loyola, are you indifferent, right? And indifferent doesn't mean not caring. It means not preferring. So do you prefer, right? Are you happy with or do you prefer a rich life or a poor life, right? A life of fame or obscurity, a life that's healthy or sick, and uh, a life that's known or unknown. And the answer is, Lord, I prefer what you prefer. So if you prefer for me riches, I'll take it but I'm not pursuing it. If you lead me from riches to poverty or poverty to riches, I'm I'm indifferent. I'm available to be led. I'm ready and receptive to be led into riches or poverty, fame or obscurity, right? Health or um health or uh or sickness, right? A long life or a short life. Lord, I don't care about those things. I care about you. I prefer you and I prefer the life you have for me
1: very good yeah i it's think a, it's, it's a great test it is well saint therese there was a quote one of the quotes i read from her she just said if the lord said would you prefer or would, would you pick this option or this option and she just says i choose neither i choose neither he's asking. he's she's pretending i believe if i remember correctly that he's asking her what do you choose and she's saying i choose neither only what you want and i just thought so- that was powerful yeah.
0: Well, Eddie, this is also connected to the work of evangelization, right? So I want folks that are listening to this also realize that this is connected to the work of evangelization, apologetics, dialogue, all of those moments of the church's mission. So John Paul II, Mission of the Redeemer, right? So his, uh, his uh, encyclical on the missionary activity of the church, he has a chapter in there on missionary spirituality. And he, he says that the first requirement of a missionary spirituality think about it if you could if you could build and mold a catholic evangelist what would be the first gift you'd want to give that evangelist think about it what's the first gift you think well it's faith to preach it's courage it's uh it's discernment no you know what it is it's docility it's radical availability to be led by the holy spirit That's the first requirement of a missionary spirituality is complete docility to the Holy Spirit, the willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit, rather than me putting myself forward and saying, Lord, will you bless it? So that's something to pray for. Yeah, it is. Pray for that docility. So. I, uh, it was one of the things I would tell guys like you and women, but mostly it was guys who were trying to make a living during ministry. So what do I do to, to really have that bearing fruit in ministry? And I would say, pray for docility, pray for humility and pray for purity of intention. So docility, the willingness to be led, humility, to lower myself in a way that is praiseworthy, right? It's a praiseworthy self-abasement. Uh, that's a great definition of humility. It's lowering myself, going down into the basement in a way that's praiseworthy because we can also do it in a way that's not yeah. fitting. Yeah. And then purity of intention. Like, why are you pursuing this? And, and is this really about the Lord or is this about me? We want an unpolluted intention. And we often have mixed motivations for what we do. It's like, oh yeah, you ought to get this book because you know, it'll be great for you. Well, and I'm making a little bit extra money too, so there are so many mixed motivations that are out there. So pray for purity of intention. So I would pray for those specifically, intentionally. I, I did it for decades. Um, now, now I'm I'm humble and pure enough that I don't need to do that anymore. So.
1: <laughs> and that's why I had you on because exactly. Like, I, live, I'm
0: just I'm radiating only, the Lord.
1: Only living saints on on this show. So nice. Um, the other thing is maybe we can pivot to just i guess the the church in general everything that's going on we had a conversation about that i can't remember the specifics but we were talking about the state of the church relative to the past and in other words if you view something as if you personally view hey we're in a valley uh, there are other people that could view it in Maybe as a mountain, I don't know. Uh, can you speak to that? I mean, that's a very broad question. Yeah. But...
0: No, no, it's fine. I'll give it to you in two ways, real quickly. So the first is when I first started uh, doing church work in the, in the in late '80s, um, I felt like it was it was it was a time of Christendom. It was a time where the church was a respected institution. The the phrase I use is it had a seat at the table, the influencing the wider uh, community. Uh, and and it was just the case that the church had a visibility and a prominence and an acceptability yeah there were disagreements but it was sort of like okay there's 20% and 20% but 60% we agree 20 we disagree and 20 you know they disagree this sort of the positions we hold but there was a seat at the table what we were very um, naive about was that those that disagreed with us we thought that they would respectfully allow us to keep a space at that table But over the last 30 years, they continue to take more ground, take more ground, take more ground. And so we started losing ground and we started losing the culture at a whole other level. And all of a sudden now we wake up and it's, I'm going to say 2018, I'm going to pause there. And that summer of shame. And I call it the scales fell from my eyes. And I realized that, wait a minute now, over the course of the... Almost 30 years that I was doing ministry work, uh, working for the church, that we have moved into a place where the anti gospel, an anti Catholic polemic and spirit has continued to grow in prominence. And we as a church have been told to be quiet, shut us down, we're intolerant, we're out of date, and we ought to uh, be eliminated, right? So there are so many even just demonic ways that the church was under attack. And we as, as Catholics and and me and doing church ministry, it was like, wait a minute, what are we doing? Uh, And so I, I felt a call to make a shift that was talk about being available to be led into a different direction. Very difficult. Uh, Because my ministry had been built on what people used to describe me as, as relentlessly positive positive. Hey Eddie, don't you want to be relentlessly positive? Absolutely. Right? Let's go. Let's proclaim Jesus as this magnet that will draw people to a better place. This sounds wonderful, and and consider Jesus, and he will set you free, and 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 all of this. I love that. Let's help Catholics come alive in faith, and and explore. I I, I talked about. Understand the riches, appreciate the goodness, and 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 uh, no, love the beauty, appreciate the beauty, and live the goodness of the faith. Let's go, right? That's a great mission and ministry. So, awakening up Catholics to live their faith more uh, beautifully in the world. And then 2018 hits, and there was like, wait a minute, scales fell from the eyes. We have this horror, these terrible horrors connected to the sexual abuse of of teenagers and. Uh, priests and bishops who are having sex with men as just being ripped out into the open again. And it's like, okay, now we have all of these terrible, terrible, uh, wounded, broken uh, people who deserve to be healed. Let's do something about it. Let's go for transparency. And to see a, uh, an almost complete lack of godly response on the part of church leadership to heal the broken to call back to home and healing and 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 restoration those that have been wounded and to see a circling of the wagons and a and a protectiveness over over so much I felt this call to move from relentless being relentlessly positive to being prophetically uh, reverent, reverently prophetic, that I, I felt this burden to speak to bishops and priests that I had been working with for over thirty years, to speak out and to call out the the sin that needed to be repented of, and the healing that that the Lord was asking for, and and so my my message changed radically, and it was the hardest thing. And that's been my message for the last five years As I still strive to be relentlessly positive, but my message has become much more urgent because if the Titanic is sinking, then I better get people to the lifeboat, right? Get on the lifeboat because you're going down. Um, or the other analogy is, you know, the house is on fire. You know, you can't just be having a barbecue in the backyard. If the house is on fire, you got to get in there you got to break down the doors and you got to rescue those that are inside or they're going to die. And so that's been my life since then. The last 5 years has been much more of a rescue mission to save those who can be saved.
1: Now, when you think of people especially on, you know, those that watch this channel, uh, considering the Catholic Church, well you're you see people like that, I'm sure on a regular basis. How do you continue that transparency about the past, about the, you know, the, the present meaning, of course, there are sinners. We're right here talking to each other, right? How do you address that to someone that is discerning the faith? And second part to that question, what you talked about, um, how do you help people also not fear those that are not in that space if you're following me so you've talked about um the good that can come from non catholic they they they're all uh we would agree on the teachings but you were talking about almost a fear to engage with people that are not catholic
0: yeah sort of uh duck and cover or you kind of run away and hide right so Um, I would say so two things. The first is um, it has always been an issue um, as long as I've done uh, the work of evangelization. So one of the first things I did when I was working as a parish director of evangelization in 1989 was I'd go door to door and knock on the door and and introduce myself and talk about Jesus and invite them to church. And they were so excited about the engaged conversation. They're like, I'm going to come to mass. And then they go to mass at Saturday at five in the afternoon. And they're like, you're talking about the living Lord Jesus and this encounter with the riches of God. And I see this parish that looks absolutely dead. So there's always been that uh, phenomenon of the discrepancy between the proclamation of Jesus and the vitality of the community of faith. So that always will exist. And that should never be an obstacle to proclaiming the gospel to any specific individual. Remember, it's about event and encounter. It's about the Lord breaking into the moment and showing that he's alive. And so that's where I I can put the emphasis very much on helping people have an encounter with the Lord that is very much presence and power. He's present and he's moving in power. And so that often means praying with people. But... If it also has to do with vitality and vibrant encounter with the living faith, then that means that we don't obscure the fact that if they go to their local Catholic church, because I, you know how many, you know how many former Catholics I've met that left the faith because they were part of a community that wasn't vibrant and there wasn't that sense of vitality that they visibly saw,
1: uh-huh.
0: right? There was the counter witness of the actual community or the actual priest that they were engaging with. So it's a matter of saying, am I in a midst of a fellowship that is alive, that is vibrant, that that I can then introduce them into? So whether that is a married couples group or a prayer group or a men's group or some other movement that will help me be able to show them that the living Lord is, in fact, the living God. So we just often invite them to come to our house with other families, and then they get to see that sense of, wow, this is different. It's in the air. So that's, you know, that's just sort of the, the fundamental dynamic. And then regarding the idea of ducking and covering, um, I, I would say two things. That is a temptation where we are, we are not called to hide. We're called, to, you know, we don't put our light under the bushel basket. But let me ask the question, were the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph hiding when they fled to Egypt?
1: <laughs> Great right? question. Yeah.
0: No, they were saving the baby Jesus from being slaughtered by Herod. And that would be my bit. That's my big challenge to so many Catholics today: Are your baby Jesus is being slaughtered by the Herods that are around them in their lives? And sadly, in like I live in Washington State, I, I say it out loud. You should presume that your kids are, in fact, in the midst of the slaughter of their innocence, unless you prove to me that they're not. The default setting is that they are being slaughtered. Their innocence is being slaughtered. It's being slaughtered through, remember what I called this?
1: Yeah, portal to hell or something like that. Portal
0: to hell, right? So uh, kids that have smartphones, especially the smartphones that don't have any kind of restrictions on them or hanging around with kids that don't have any restrictions on them or going to their homes that don't have restrictions on what's being there. These are portals to hell where you have a relentless, pervasive, intimidating Overwhelmingly clever and entertaining presentation of the anti gospel that is being washed over and sown into these kids' lives. It is undermining and destroying or decaying a Catholic way of seeing life. And parents are passive when it comes to recognizing the horrific influence this is having on their lives. Guys, you got to man up. You got to take some action here to protect your kids to provide for your kids. And if that means moving, you move. You have to literally uproot your family. You move out of Catholic schools if you need to. I hate to say that, but diocesan Catholic schools, you should presume that their kids, are, your kids are gonna lose their faith in the typical diocesan Catholic school.
1: Well, what was yeah. the percent? You shared a percentage of the, the kids that are raised Catholic by the age of 25 I think the number was 12. 12%, 12% would be retained. In other words, they would be going to mass as they were as a kid, is that right?
0: They'd be self-identifying practicing Catholics at 25 if they were born into a, a self-identifying Catholic home and they now, right? And they were raised by the time they're 25, they they have number of those that are going to continue to be practicing their faith, self- 12%. <laughs> Like one of my nine kids, right, is going to be self-identifying and practicing their Catholic faith. And so it's one of those, I, I don't know if I said the phrase during the event, uh, it takes a heroic effort to raise an ordinary Catholic. That, that's the world we're living in. It takes a heroic wow. effort Wow. to raise an ordinary practicing Catholic today. And if you don't make a heroic effort, your kids will lose their faith. It's not a matter of it, whether it, they're going to lose their faith. Unless you make heroic efforts, sacrificial efforts, serious, intentional efforts. Like we literally moved our family away from friendships and 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 a parish and and schools and teams and and family. We moved away from family. Why? Not because we desired to live in Spokane, this wonderful dreamland that everybody wants to move to when they're reaching the pinnacle of their life. Are you <laughs> kidding me? right? The only reason we (laughs) moved there was for the faith of our kids, that we have a, what's at stake? What's at stake in my life is not only heaven for me and getting my wife to heaven, it's getting my kids to heaven. And so the question is, what am I willing to do or not do for that sake? If that's the goal, then staying in Western Washington was going to literally mean I was going to betray my ultimate call for the sake of more comfortable staying in place, I could more easily comfortably stay in place the idea of uprooting my family and moving that was hard that was incredibly hard that would involve tremendous suffering but then the question is do i want to make that suffering come upon my kids and my family right now or do i want to experience the number one suffering the number one suffering that i hear in the voices of grandparents and i have over the last 30 years the number one ache in the heart that comes from on the faces and in the voices and in the message that come from grandparents is, what did I do wrong? My kids are not Catholic anymore. I put them through 12 years of Catholic school, four years of Catholic college, and now they're living with their girlfriend or they're married and, and they're not raising their kids Catholic. They're not practicing that. What did I do wrong? That's the number one pain and ache in the heart. So you can sign up for two sufferings. You sign up for the suffering of uprooting and moving your family, or you sign up for the suffering of having your kid leave the faith and live a life that is apart from their Catholic reality. Those are your choices. And there's an 88% chance that that's gonna happen. Isn't that some good news? Isn't that the Eddie, aren't you glad that I'm on your program?
1: Oh, exactly. And that's exactly why I wanted to end with that. No. So, let, yeah, very good. There are so many parallels between what you said and last week's guest. I don't know. if you had a chance to catch it, you you should if you get a chance, former Carthusian monk, and he was talking about the call to even enter the monastic life. And it's just fascinating to me to have a brother to have yourself just there are so many parallels in everything that you just said, <laughs> to what he was saying. Um, and part of it, I or I should say not even part of it, it all boils down to, it all connects to surrender, but it also is what is going to be comfortable, what's actually going to be difficult. It's not to say that just because something is more difficult that you go for that every time. You obviously have to stay um, close to the Lord, but there was this fascinating take um, that I've been thinking about between last week's guest and what you just said about the comfort that is so, it will lull you to sleep. The comfort will lull you to sleep. You wake up, all of a sudden you're 55 years old and you say, what just happened? And I, I can say that I was in a sleep for quite a while as well. Woke up, what oh my gosh, life is real. The Lord is real. These souls matter. I <laughs> mean, The conversation that we had at the conference. So I'm, yeah, I've got a lot to chew on for sure. Is there anything else, Tom, go ahead. You were going to say something.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I was uh, something that I was pondering yesterday. I was talking about it with Kerry. I was like um, that idea of having a sense of uh, zeal for the Lord, right? So Uh, there are these three moments in, um, in the life of a disciple. So am I, am I zealously pursuing a mortified life, a life where I am picking up my cross, dying to myself and seeking more of the Lord, right? So am I ruthless about removing sin from my life? So I, that's something that I, just the first thing it's like, Lord, I just beg you here, here. I don't know if you ever prayed for this, Lord. I beg you for the gift of penance, Please, Lord, I beg you for the gift of giving me the grace to fast. Like, do we pray for that? I, I, I'm telling you that that that's a that's a prayer that is needs to be prayed more. We've lost we've lost connection with the um, the the ascetical life, right? So, in 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 Catholic theology, um, after Trent, theology was taught in manuals. And so in manualistic modes of teaching theology, they would assign different themes together that were related. So there would be a course, God is one, that would be taught with God is three. There'd be uh, grace taught with nature, right? Uh, Jesus is God, Jesus is man, right? Uh, But there was also a course in mystical theology. And do you know the other manual that was taught alongside mystical theology? It was ascetical theology. So do you want to advance in holiness to the highest states of radiate, radiating Jesus in, divine, in divinity? If you want to advance along the path of the growth in holiness, you have to advance on the path of asceticism, which is spiritual training. And so ascetical theology is made up with spiritual disciplines of, of, um, of spiritual training and mortification, dying to self. So guess what? Maybe we don't have that many saints because we don't have that many ascetics. And so pray to become an ascetic. Pray for that. That's the first one. (laughs) The second one is pray to be an intercessor, an intercessor that is radically desperate to rescue those that are not just near to death, but far from God, but those that are around us. So pray to be that one who stands in the gap. And again, that's a whole other program, Eddie, but that idea of standing in the gap is the intercessor. That's going where the battle is the greatest. And then the last one is pray to experience the power of God that fills us to overflowing. The, 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 the Philip Neri experience of praying in the catacombs and having the fire of God enter his heart Break his ribs, enlarge his heart such that the very presence of God would radiate from his being and when he, his disciples were needed comfort and they were really confused about the spiritual life, he would just draw them close to his heart and they would just have washed away from them their doubts and clarity would return. like, how's that for ministry? <laughs> yeah. right? So why don't we pray for those things, right? So you pray for those things, watch what happens to your life.
1: Wow. Thank you so much, Tom. I really want to thank you for your time and um, very unexpected mentorship based on me walking over to you uh, last week. So I just want to, again, thank you. And um, everyone, please subscribe, share, like, and go back, please, um, and re-listen to what Dr. Tom was saying about... A number of instances in your lives. I think we can all learn a lot and hopefully pray for docility and humility um, and purity of intention. And until next time, take care and God bless you. Bye.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Catholic Recon. Please feel free to leave a comment and remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen. To find out more about Eddie Trask, go to www.eddytrask.com. May God bless you.